It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. Today's program, we tie a bow of sorts on the Antifa versus Mike Strickland case. Our multi-part expose on the notorious prosecution of a man who held off Antifa attackers with a gun in self-defense without a shot being fired. We'll tell you the wrap up there. We've got an interview with the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center on an incredible scam run by an anti-Second Amendment group to entrap him. And next week, with a retired Army two-star general on the state of play in the armed forces, internal and external threats, and critical race theory in the military. That's next time. First, a couple of things in the news will flesh out in the coming days. First up, I want you to check out my PJ Media piece about change of venue request by Thomas Caldwell, one of the first arrested for the Capitol riot, or as Caldwell's attorney called it, protest gone wild. It is an extraordinary motion filed in the U.S. District Court in D.C., the D.C. Circuit, and it's a document that says everything it needed to and more. Now, I've read a lot of legal documents, and most of them are bloodless. But reading this one in the proceedings called United States versus Thomas E. Caldwell is anything but that. I've never read anything that is quite as bracing and as colorful as this. It's amazing. His attorney documented what he called the untrue claims previously made by prosecutors and carried by the press, including that Caldwell planned the attack on the Capitol building on January 6th, was part of Oath Keepers set out to murder and gas congressional reps that you heard that right, gas them to death and all kinds of other things which were not true. Turns out, at least according to the attorney and by the tacit uh, representations by the prosecutors who have sort of backed off of these histrionic, hyperbolic charges that they laid on Mr. Caldwell, a 20 year Navy vet and and an intelligence officer who had top secret clearance when he was in the military. And he's not a trifle. He's not a dummy. He's pretty smart guy. And uh, unfortunately, he got caught up in this. Anyway, the government's initial charging documents, according to the attorney's document, calling for a change of venue, he wants, parenthetically, a change of venue to the Western District of Virginia, which was where most of the supposed allegations, the allegations that the feds say he committed, occurred. So it makes some sense that he would want to go to Virginia in the chance he gets a change of venue. But of course, as we've all found out from the Roger Stone situation and all kinds of different uh, different things that occur in Washington, D.C., such as letting Antifa and Black Lives Matter rioters go, we know that the, the deck is stacked. It is stacked against these guys. And so... The change of venue document outlines a lot of this stuff. And it is extraordinary because you never have attorneys willing to do this kind of thing. This is a Maryland attorney who represents this guy, Caldwell. And this is what he said. I'll read two passages from this document. 
the government's initial charging documents contained multiple misleading, inaccurate, and false statements regarding Caldwell, which have saturated the district's news media, have irreversibly prejudiced the district's jury pool. As noted in prior defense briefings, the government's initial charging documents inaccurately claimed that the case Caldwell was a member of Oath Keepers, that he held a leadership role. In fact, they called him the commander in the Oath Keepers, that he stormed inside the Capitol building, which he did not, and that he was involved in a weeks long plan to specifically invade the Capitol. And according to the, the his attorney, none of that ever happened. And there have been four, count them, four superseding indictments on this case. In other words, that is to say that usually what happens in a superseding indictment, they add more to the story and you get more details. And in fact, they started removing things from the story in the case of Caldwell, in addition to other other factoids that were, they believe, germane. But they backed off the most hyperbolic claims. So this is interesting. Uh, continuing to quote here, government counsel have, to their credit, backed off, albeit discreetly, all of those inaccurate claims, but not before. They were repeated ad nauseum in every major print and broadcast news outlet in the district. These inaccurate allegations, in fact, caused this honorable court to initially detain Caldwell. Caldwell rhetorically asked the court, If these inaccurate allegations prompted the court to detain Caldwell, isn't it likely that potential district jurors would be predisposed against Caldwell based on the same misinformation? More troubling, the attorney writes, at least one false allegation against Caldwell that he specifically planned to forcibly storm the Capitol was made either knowingly or with reckless disregard for the truth. And that was referring to a 60 Minutes interview that the acting uh, U.S. attorney made at the time and I guess, well, it seems to me the trajectory of the case is, and it was nothing of the sort. So he misrepresented the case. And that's what they're saying here. Go read my PJ Media piece on it. Just one more thing, because this is the kind of information you would love for everyone to say. Now, granted, and it, it goes without question, and I so stipulate that the January 6th uh, attack on the Capitol was outrageous. And those people who did something wrong, who besides trespassing, can we just get honest about that? Trespassing occurs all the time. Think about the Kavanaugh hearing pounding on the Senate Judiciary Committee's doors. Talk about buttonholing uh, congressmen. Talk about Chuck Schumer on the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court saying that he would reap the whirlwind on the U.S. Supreme Court if they decided a particular case in a way that he didn't like on the steps with a mob. Okay, so don't talk to me about trespassing and menial little things that have occurred on a daily basis by Medea Benjamin's pinkos at her code pink propaganda machine. Just stop. I mean, we're all adults here, right? We're the I, And I am the adult in the room. And I'm just telling you, knock it off. Knock it off. If you're not going to go after the people who burned down the president's church at Lafayette, or not Lafayette Square, but right in front of the White House, then, okay, great. We have nothing to discuss. 
We have nothing more to say to one another. Stop the trespassing crap or parading as that one grandma did, which he mentions in this particular document asking for a change of venue. And here are a few things that Caldwell's attorney mentioned in the document. An anti, let's see, the, he launched into, I'll just sort of set it up because I wrote this sentence to set this up. So listen to my sentence that I previously wrote. The, the attorney launched in to how unhospitable Washington, D.C. is to people right of center and certainly not Trump or his supporters. And this is his partial list. He had more in this document. An anti-Trump zealot shot up the baseball practice just across the Potomac in Alexandria, nearly killing Majority Whip Steve Scalise. The level of antipathy towards Trump and his supporters in the district is off the charts and makes it impossible to find an impartial jury. District residents not only despise Caldwell's politics, they despise many of the things traditional America stands for. District residents who largely style themselves as chic, sophisticated, worldly, highbrow urbanites are repulsed by rural America's traditional values, patriotism, religion, gun ownership, and perceived lack of education. Conversely, rural America is repulsed by what it perceives as East and West Coast progressive snobbery, addiction to government funding, lack of moral values, and petulant intolerance for those with different viewpoints. It sounds true so far, (laughs) doesn't it? He goes on, the two Americas couldn't be more different and largely despise and distrust one another. To deny that the lion's share of potential district jurors will be highly predisposed against a Trump-supporting defendant is like denying the water is liquid. Caldwell should be judged on the facts of the case and, and the law, not on his prior support for President Trump. That the jury pool loathes Trump supporters per se is borne out by the undersigned counsel's conversations with some D.C.-based journalists and attorneys who have referred to the defendants as hillbillies, white trash, and, and he goes on. And in a footnote on that page, he talks about Mr. Caldwell, his client, a retired lieutenant commander and intelligence officer in the U.S. Navy who held top uh, top secret clearance, she tried to say, hardly qualifies as a hillbilly or white trash. Other co-defendants at the time of their arrests were inter alia successful small business owners, a car dealership owner, and an MBA graduate. The president of the Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes, is a graduate of Yale Law School. There's a lot wrong with January 6th. And then there's this prosecution and others like them. All I have to say is, wow, read the piece. It's going to be linked up with the Adults in the Room podcast information. This change of venue document is extraordinary. I mean, I spent hours going through. It's only 23 pages. But in order to get the essentials into a particular story that is less than a gazillion words for PJ Media is very difficult. I distilled it as best I could. Go read the story. Now, here's another real whopper. 
I mean, it's the reason why I'm putting retired general uh, two-star Paul Vallely on next week's program, because unless I go to two programs a week, which doesn't appear to happen, that's not going to happen for a while anyway. But uh, so I, I put him off till next week because this story just blew my mind. This this is just amazing. In May, author and the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, John Lott, was invited to be the commencement speaker at a high school in Las Vegas. So he's invited to speak at many schools. So Lott did as he's done before, checked out the school's website, read a bit more about the school on it, and thought, well, why not? They offered to send him a personal jet to pick him up. And he thought, oh, that's excessive. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I'll drive. I live in Montana. Uh, This is in Vegas. It's a 15-hour drive. I'm going to stop and see my friends in Idaho. It'll be great. And, and, And I'll sort of dovetail everything. Be fine. As you'll hear in my interview with him, they then tried to change up what they wanted him to talk about. Instead of keeping it positive and doing a typical commencement speech that all students could enjoy, they asked him late in the game, days before, will you talk about the Second Amendment and James Madison and the Second Amendment? And James Madison, it was the name of the high school, James Madison uh, Online School or some such thing, which we'll have uh, in the interview, so you're not going to miss anything. Hang around for that. He said, the, the person, the point person, talking with John Lott, who's a well-established brain on how gun, what gun violence does in the United States, you know, who owns guns, uh, who's being killed by guns, all kinds of things. He's a gun rights supporter. They will never debate him, they being the opposition, the anti-Second Amendment groups, uh, so you, you just need to know that going into this, because this is extraordinary and extraordinary unethic, extraordinarily unethical. But I go on. So, as I said, they offered to pick him up in a jet. He said, no, I'll, I'll drive, blah, blah, blah. And then they changed up a little bit about what, he, what they wanted him to say. And he said, no, I really don't want to. I don't feel comfortable doing that. I want to do a uplifting commencement speech. And they said, no, no, no. These kids have been studying the uh, civil rights. They've been studying Second Amendment. We want you to talk about that. They, they've asked for that. And he relented. Oh, and then they said, oh, by the way, we want you to come for a dress rehearsal the day before. And they were relentless against or on him trying to get him there he had a conflicting speech he was trying to figure out how he's going to get drive from montana and get there after this other speaking engagement and he'll talk about how problematic that was for him so anyway he gets to las vegas he gets to the so-called james madison high school prep or whatever it is who cares it's a fake school I'm just going to, you know, here's the chaser. It's a fake school. He arrived to find cameras, action, 
a huge, huge venue. They had all the chairs laid out for all of the kids who were coming. It's apparently an online school, and it was a huge class, huge graduating class, over 3,000 students, and they had all the chairs out there. But it was all a lie. And they said they want a dress rehearsal. He says, I've never heard of a dress rehearsal for a graduation speech. But he thought, well, I'm doing it for the kids. What the hell? But it was all a lie. It was a scheme to get the man, the group, change the ref. That's the name of the group. Has refused to debate on gun issues and get him suckered in to one of its videos that it, it, it creates or it has an entity that creates these to raise money and to make points for their their group. The anti-gun group apparently had so much money. I mean, this thing to set up, this was probably, I said tens of thousands of dollars in my interview with John. You'll hear in just a second. It probably ran into the hundreds of thousands. And here's why. Because an ad agency put this together and they, according to... Adweek had been working nonstop for months to set this sting or whatever it was up on John Lott. I'm not even kidding. You'll hear him describe it. They have so much money that it set this all up, set up the online infrastructure, the fake website, the phones, the people answering the phones for the quote-unquote school staff to support this fraud. It was like Stephen Glass in the New Republic. You're, you're probably too young for this, but I think it was in the 90s or the, I'm pretty sure it was in the 90s. And I took the New Republic, which is a lefty publication, started out as a commie rag and didn't really venture out too far from that over the years. But Nevertheless, Stephen Glass was a guy who was a quote-unquote reporter, and what we found out was he had been making up stories and, I mean, just as fantastical-sounding stories. Uh, it made, uh, it made uh, you know, the folks over at BuzzFeed look normal, okay? They were fantastical stories, and then what he did was, in order to fool his editors and the readers, he linked to web pages that he himself had created where he put all this bunk on them and lies saying exactly what he said they said in his stories it was just it was amazing i I should go back and read about his his case i was taking like i said i was taking the the new republic at the time and i was so outraged by what stephen glass did i stopped taking the new republic because the response of the new republic was one paragraph the the one response that i saw one paragraph and it was like, oops. And I go, okay, it's done. It's over. I'm done with you people. This is not journalism. This is hackery. Anyway, that's my story. So the group later produced a video with, guess who? John Lott, their nemesis, this anti-gun group's nemesis that set up this fake school, set everything up, set up the chairs set up the venue set up the website set up everything this charity group set out by uh, supposedly grieving parents from the parkland shooting but they have given themselves over to this fakery and fraud 
And they set up all that stuff. And they produced the video with John Lott as its commencement speaker for what the group calls the missing class, or as John refers to, the missing seniors. Because they allege, with no evidence, it turns out, because guess what? Numbers cruncher, John Lott, doesn't even know where they get 3,044 students killed every year by gun violence. He's going, what What are you talking about? This is not even true. He says, if, at the most, it might be around 500. And he he even includes kids who are, de- you know, are killed in legitimate, justified violence, okay, probably by cops. So anyway, the number of chairs laid out for the commencement, surprise, surprise, was 3,044. And all the drone footage from the multiple drones they had taking video overhead were there. And it was a very nicely produced commercial for a supposedly anti-gun group that pulled this ruse on a man who's a researcher who says things they don't like, like, I know, let's change the universal background check. Just go ahead and you'll listen up. But anyway, so the commercial was received by the left as, you know, it was just, this is the best thing ever. Encomiums, encomiums poured in. It was lauded by lefties like Rachel Maddow. And of course, the lefty ad agencies, they got a lots of kudos for this quote-unquote commercial for this anti-gun group, which used subterfuge and a ruse to get John Lott to come to with a fake school. It's just, this is even beyond, way beyond James O'Keefe stuff, which the left purports to hate. And furthermore, at least if James O'Keefe of Project Veritas is doing a video, guess what? He puts all of the raw tape and makes it available, not just the edited portion of the tape. Let's listen to my interview with John Lott. Yeah. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. John Lott, welcome to the Adult in the Room podcast. This is a wild story. Okay, what happened? Uh, Well, thanks. It's good to talk to you again. Uh, You know, I've been more than happy to debate Democrats over the years, uh, I mean, and gun control groups on gun issues. Uh, But gun control groups have had this... Uh, agreement among themselves uh, that they won't debate me. Uh, so it's been pretty frustrating. And I, I can't tell you the number of times I've been invited uh, to be on a TV show or a radio show uh, for a debate. And I'll, when I'm driving into the studio for TV, I'll get a call saying that the other side has, uh, you know, when they were told that it was me, uh, they said that uh, they wouldn't participate if I was uh, on the other side. And so I've been 
I've been more than happy to do it. The problem is, uh, you know, here we have a situation where they they set up this fake high school in order to get uh, a commencement address from me that they then edited very deceptively to go and uh, make it look like I was saying things very different from what I was saying. And the problem also is that the vast majority of the media seems perfectly fine with that, which is just bizarre to me. Uh, you know, most of the media didn't even talk to me about what was said there, but uh, uh, what, what I said. But even the ones that did uh, would go and, uh, you know, just say, well, Lot says that it was deceptively edited, and uh, the gun control people say it's not, and that was... That's it. You know, uh, and my response to the media has been, it shouldn't be a he said, he said. Uh, you know, just tell them to go and release the video. Because if I were to do something like this uh, and not release the video, you know, lie to people about what the event is, uh, get them to go and uh, give a talk that I – that. They, the gun control people then claimed was, uh, uh, you know, deceptively edited. I have a feeling that uh, the media would attack me. Let's go back for a second, because this was so incredibly elaborate in an attempt to punk you, misrepresent you. And it was such an elaborate ruse to trick you into thinking you were giving a commencement address before the graduating class of a legitimate school, a private school, and these people with this supposed charity set up staff, created a fake school, a website, rented space, got phone numbers, all in order to trick you. Right. So uh, back in the middle of May, I got this uh, phone call from this individual who described himself as the chairman for this uh, large online uh, uh, high school that they were having a graduation on June 5th, and uh, they were going to have 2,000 students there uh, graduating, and as well as their families, and he asked me if I would be the keynote speaker. So uh, this was something called James Madison Academy, named after one of the founding fathers. And uh, so I looked it up online, and I found it, and they had a nice website and everything, uh, very professionally done, talking about the school and the successes that the school was having, uh, and things like placing kids in college and what have you. And, uh, you know, smiling pictures of students and discussions of faculty and families. And so anyway, I said, sure, I'd do it. Um, my initial understanding was that I would be giving a talk that pretty much just had the types of advice I give my kids on, you know, how to pick a career and how to be successful. Uh, and uh, but then a few days before the event, uh, this guy contacted me again and said that uh, they needed me to go and talk about background checks uh, <laughs> as well as James Madison, the role he had in the Second Amendment. And I told them that I was uncomfortable with that because, um, you know, I just don't think 
it's appropriate for commencement addresses to go and do things that are considered political. I've always had a pet peeve against people doing things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he told me that the students had spent the senior year studying the Bill of Rights and that the student committee had picked me uh, precisely because they wanted me to go and talk about this subject. So I said, well, okay, I can spend part of my talk on that. Um, and uh, anyway, uh, and then the next day, uh, the, he comes to me and he says, oh, uh, you have to be there on Friday morning, rather than uh, which is June the 4th, rather than on the on late afternoon on June the 5th. And I said, you know, this is like almost impossible. I already have another talk that I have scheduled on, on the evening of June the 3rd. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like a 13-hour drive from Montana down to Las Vegas. Um, and uh, But he pleaded with me. I can't tell you how many times he pleaded with me, telling me how important it was to the school that wow. they go and do a dress rehearsal because they were really putting a lot of money into this. And... Uh, you know, it was important, you know, if, I, if it took me longer, they'd have to have the staff sitting around, and they had a lot of people there with a lot of equipment. And, you know, he said, he just basically begged me to uh, get there as soon as I could uh, so I could save them money so that they would have money to put in the school. So anyway, <clears throat> I uh, basically had to drive through the night. And uh, the trip actually took over 17 hours because Mm -hmm. there was a huge accident on 93 going through Idaho and the road was closed. Uh, So I had to backtrack and take another route. I have to confess, uh, and I'm not in my 20s, and uh, driving that long at age 63, (laughs) I tell you, I don't think I've ever driven that many hours. It kind of makes you wonder if you shouldn't have taken them up on their offer to send you a private jet to get there. That was originally what they did. That was back in May that they had done that. But my original plan was uh, to stop and visit some friends in Idaho. And uh, I figured, well, you know, I could save them some money and there's some friends who have been asking me to stop by and say hi forever. And, uh, and I could use my car in Las Vegas. Uh, so I'll just drive down and save them some money and, uh, and, and visit yeah, with yeah. friends. But, I mean, that was back in May. Uh, you know, here, here we're talking just a few days before the event. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was bizarre. In May, they were talking about a chartered jet, you know, uh, and I thought that was a little extravagant. Um, and uh, so anyway, uh, but, you know, uh, I, I trust me, uh, when uh, the road was closed, I was talking to them about flying down the rest of the way because um, uh, I was – going to be driving through Salt Lake and wanted to see what flights there were. But anyway, it didn't work out. Uh, so uh, anyway, I get there on early afternoon on Friday, uh, June 4th, 
and uh, I meet this guy, and we go over and do the dress rehearsal. Um, and it was an amazing setup. I mean, they had multiple big TV cameras there, had drones flying around with cameras on them, uh, had a big tent filled with electronic stuff, held a big dais, had uh, uh, huge banners for the school, uh, had you know all the chairs set up. Uh, uh, I guess they had said 3,044 chairs, uh, and we can talk about that in a minute. Wow. And, uh, you know, I gave, I mean, I have to confess, I was exhausted. Uh, but I gave my kind of rough version of my talk. Um, and, uh, you know, they filmed it because they wanted, you know, just in case they had problems filming with anything or on Saturday. I mean, I had offered just to tell them my, my talk on the phone. I said, look, if you want to know what I'm going to be saying exactly, I've already given you an outline. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm happy just to say it over the phone. I mean, they kept on saying, you know, we got thousands of people here. It's just really important that everything goes smoothly. I mean, I've given large talks to groups I haven't had to do uh, a dress rehearsal before. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, But, you know, I was just trying to help out the school. And, uh, you know, it seemed like a good cause, uh, so why not help them out? So I went the extra mile to do it. Anyway, uh, so I basically, I went back to the hotel, basically just crashed. uh, And uh, the next morning, I get a call from the same guy saying that uh, he really felt horrible, really apologized, but they were having to cancel the event. Uh, the police had contacted them. There was a very credible threat of violence. He implied that somehow it was connected with my talk, wow. which made me feel really bad because, you know, here my impression was you'd had thousands of people coming in uh, to go from around the country, I guess, maybe particularly the West, but from around the country to go and do this commencement. And uh, if I if it was any threat that was being brought on by somebody who didn't like me, I didn't I felt bad about it. Uh, anyway, and they said that they would get back to me in a few days, but they asked me not to talk about it, and they weren't allowed uh, to talk about it either. Couldn't give me any real details wow. uh, because the police were closing in on the guy, uh, and they felt confident that they'd be making an arrest. I said okay. A few days went by. I didn't hear anything. I tried calling him, and the phone number was disconnected, uh, which was pretty strange. And I sent him emails, and I didn't hear anything back. So I was a little concerned. Um, but uh, in the, And then a couple weeks ago, uh, I started getting uh, calls from the media, emails, uh, because uh, these guys had released this very selectively edited video. Um, so anyway, that's the story. This must have cost thousands of dollars to set up what was a scam. These guys, I I mean, I was just reading the other day in ad week, these guys hired a whole team of, uh, of people at a large advertising company in Chicago, uh, to go and they spent literally round the clock for months, this uh, advertising agency, uh, brainstormed and came up with various ideas uh, to to do this, and this is 
So, I, I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, you get an advertising agency, a whole team, they're spending round the clock. They said round the clock for months. I mean, I, I mean, just the bill from the advertising agency must have been, it must have been huge. But it was, you know, it was just crazy stuff. So, uh, To what end did this ad agency and supposed anti-gun charity produce this expensive ad to dupe you? Well, uh, they, they, to the end was they got this, uh, ad, you know, this, these, um, uh, you know, videos that they put together. And they got massive uh, international news coverage. The advertising agency was Leo Burnett. It's apparently a big advertising agency. I don't know. But the, um, uh, I mean, they got massive uh, worldwide news coverage and they raised a fair amount of money, uh, mm-hmm. apparently. Um, but uh, um, when the videos came out, uh, Rachel Maddow on uh, MSNBC spent uh, 14 minutes of her show, at least, on it. That's a lot. That's a huge amount. I mean, normally that's like five minutes or something. And uh, um, so, and, you know, CNN was gushing all over it. And, uh, you know, they it was just Washington Post, everything from Washington Post to Fox. Were they gushing over the fact that they got you or glorying in getting you to supposedly say something that agreed with them? Well, they just thought the whole thing was brilliant idea to go and do that. Um, the sting. Yeah, the sting. So I, I don't know what to make of it. But the, uh, uh, you know, as I said earlier, if I had done something even remotely similar, I suspect uh, the media would have come down on me. You know, if I, if, if they, if the gun control people had been lied to and they said that it had been deceptively edited and I refused uh, to release the, the full video, I guarantee you that would have been the focus of the story to the extent it had been anything. But, you know, the thing is, um, the vast majority of the media didn't even interview me. Uh, the ones that did interview me, uh, some of them would include... Uh, statements from me saying that it was deceptively edited, but then they would just have a quote from the gun control people saying, no, we accurately edited it. Nothing was deceptive in what we did on the editing. But I mean, my comment to the news people was that, look, the very fact that they won't release this full video should make you at least believe that they have something to hide with regard to this and make you skeptical about their claim that they didn't deceptively edit it. So I'll give you an example of what they did. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I've been on your radio show years ago and Mm -hmm. stuff, probably talked about background checks. I know I talk about it a lot. What I have always said is that, look, everybody wants to stop dangerous people from getting guns. I don't think that the background checks really will do a lot, but if it makes people feel better, fine. But but the current system is a mess, and there's certain really simple, reasonable changes that they can make in order to fix it. So, for example, uh, you know, last week Biden's out there saying that uh, three million prohibited people have been stopped from buying guns because of background checks. That is simply false. What they should say is that there have been 
three, actually three and a half million or so initial denials. And that virtually all of those are mistakes. About 99% of those are mistakes. You know, it's one thing to stop a felon from buying a gun. It's another thing to stop somebody simply because they have a roughly phonetically similar name to a felon. And uh, there's no reason that that mistake should occur. I mean, it's amazing that you can have three and a half million law-abiding citizens who, who wanted to get a gun, maybe to protect themselves and their families, who have been denied through no fault of their own, simply because of errors in the government system. If private companies had an error rate that was one hundredth the error rate that the federal government has, they'd be sued out of existence under federal law. Uh, and, the, and the thing is also, the people who are disproportionately harmed are black males and Hispanic males. Uh, they're the ones who have much higher uh, false positive rates. The, the rate for uh, black males is more than three times their share of the population. For Hispanic males, it's like two and a half times. And, you know, there's a simple reason for this, and that is when uh, uh, people tend to have names similar to others in their racial groups. Hispanics have names similar to other Hispanics. Blacks tend to have names similar to other blacks. When you go and look at roughly phonetically similar names and similar birthdays, you're going to have a lot of errors. And so, uh, you know, 33% of black males, for example, are legally prohibited from owning a gun because of past criminal history. And the thing is, the simple fix for this is just requiring that the federal government has to meet the same standards for doing background checks that private companies have to meet. I mean, I don't know what could be more reasonable. But what I said, and, is, and you can see how it's taken out of context in this video, is mm-hmm. that I said gun control groups will fight you tooth and nail against these reasonable changes and uh, reasonable fixes. And what they just had me saying, they, they had a, uh, something shown there saying that I was against uh, universal background checks. Um, and then had me saying that uh, the part where gun control groups will fight you tooth and nail uh, against it, but but leaving out the reasonable fixes part. And, uh, uh, you know, so anyway, I mean, that's just an example. Or, you know, or take this claim about 3,044 uh, high school seniors uh, <laughs> died. I mean, it's just a bizarre claim because uh, – I mean, I don't even know where you get a number that's even remotely close to that. If you look at um, uh, high school seniors uh, for all causes of gun deaths, homicides, accidents, and suicides, you're talking about a little over 500 uh, in 2019. Mm-hmm. But even that exaggerates it for a couple reasons. One is homicides includes justifiable homicides, which... It's not mm-hmm. obvious to me why you want to include in this. And secondly, um, most of the murders are rival gang members. And yeah. I mean, you know, the notion that somehow if we only pass background checks, uh, universal background checks that they want, that gangs aren't going to be fighting against each other over drug turf anymore is just, you know, go look at Mexico. They have a ban. I mean, it's illegal for you to privately transfer a gun, let alone, 
you know, go through a, a background check like, you know, and they have a murder rate that's six times higher than the U.S. rate. One of the things that the media focused on so much is they had a horrible experience. Their son died in the Parkland uh, school shooting. And, uh, you know, my heart goes out to them on that. And that was any, you know, the, I think virtually all or maybe all the news stories uh, led with that at the beginning, just talking about the horrible tragedy uh, that this couple had. And they're the titular head, though I really doubt that they're the ones who funded this thing that was going on here. And, um, uh, you know, it's so. Uh, so they're legitimate victims and start this group, which is now doing political hits on Second Amendment groups. I wish they would. I would be happy to debate them on this. Now, this whole thing was fraudulent and done to defraud you and cause your reputation harm. Are you going to sue them? Uh, well, I've had some law professor. I've taught in law schools. I've had some law professor friends of mine suggest that I should sue. But, you know, uh, you're probably maybe talking about 150000 or so to go and do it. People, I'm a public person. People aren't going to take this on contingency. And, um, you know, plus, uh, I suspect that it would be hard to get a lot of money out of the gun control group. The money could easily be moved and stuff. Uh, you know. Sounds like they got a lot of money to burn to come up with an elaborate scam that does little to educate and lots to propaga- propagandize. Yeah, they do. But as soon as you bring suit or they're going to, you know, move it to another gun control group or whatever. And so, uh, you know, it's not, uh, you know, I I mean, I'd consider it, but I I don't have that type of money laying around. Does a legitimate group burn all that money fundraised from people supposedly to make sure kids aren't killed anymore from crazy people with guns to stage an elaborate ruse in an attempt to ruin the reputation of a man who does crunches numbers, basically, uh, and defends gun usage. I mean, seriously, is is this what real charities do? I mean, if they're going to deceptively edit it, I mean... I don't know how many radio shows I've been on uh, over the years to talk about uh, how to fix the background check system. I've been telling gun control advocates for 20 years how to fix the background check system. And, uh, you know, I basically told them, I said, look, and and gun control advocates uh, uh, like Paul Helmke, who ran the Brady campaign, I believe uh, if you asked him, he would... uh, testify to the fact that I've made suggestions to him decades ago about how they could pass these universal background check systems if they made a few reasonable changes in it. Such as? Well, such as one, requiring that, uh, that the federal government has to meet the same standards for doing background checks that private companies have to meet in terms of checking the people. Uh, the second thing is just the cost. So in Washington, D.C., where they're voting on all this, it costs $125 to do a background check on a private transfer of a gun. Most people don't see the cost of the background check because, you know, they're buying a gun from a gun store. And 
and the background check is in the price of the gun. So you, it's not like a sales tax that gets added. It's just when you have these states, 19 states now, that have these background checks on private transfers of guns, uh, that's when you see it because that's a service because they have to charge you for their time, uh, you know, for putting the paperwork together and, and these things don't always go through smoothly. Um, you know, so place like Oregon, it may be $55 on average and New York City, it may be $200 to go and do a background check on a private transfer gun. So this may not stop you or I from being able to get a gun, but the very people that my research indicates who benefit the most from having guns, the people who are most likely to be victims of violent crime, poor blacks who live in high crime urban areas, you know, that may make the difference between they're able to legally buy a gun or not. So there's two points that I'd make on this. One is, if you believe that background checks reduce violent crime, and I really don't, but if you believe that, then it reduces crime for everybody, not just the law-abiding person who's going out of their way uh, to go and do the background check on the transfer. And as an economist, I would say, the people who benefit should be the ones who pay. So if everybody's benefiting, everybody should pay for it. And, uh, and the second thing is, presumably, if you think that this is good, you want to encourage people to go and do the background check. You don't want to make them pay effectively a tax for doing what you think is a good thing to do, because that doesn't <laughs> encourage people to do it. And so... That for both of those reasons, you should pay for it out of general revenue. You know, if you think this is good, if you think this is benefiting everybody, then everybody should pay. So just pay for it out of general revenue. But I, I've made those two points for years to gun control people, and they will fight you tooth and nail against that. They And I've become convinced that the reason why they hate those suggestions, uh, and they really do, and I think they're very reasonable changes, um, is that they the whole point of the background check system is to make it costly. The way they've run it, anyway, it doesn't have to be this way, but the way they've run it is to make it costly for people to be able to go and own guns. They just want to do what they can to, to prevent people from owning guns. It's intended... To be punitive, right? So, I mean, they, I told them, you make a few changes, a few, what I can would argue very strongly are reasonable changes. They could get the universal background checks system passed tomorrow. I mean, there are other little things like, um, uh, you know, uh, I'm in Montana right now. And there are places in Montana where you may be, you know, 100 miles from the nearest uh, federally licensed dealer. Uh, well, you know, if I have to go there and the other guy has to, who I'm giving the gun to has to go there to get a transfer, that's kind of an inconvenience. Uh, there are ways of fixing that, too, that I could talk about uh, and still have your background checks. So um, how would you do, but, you do that? What? How would you do that? Well, uh, there was actually an idea that Trump was about ready to come forward with, uh, but then kind of things with the impeachment blew up and stuff. And so uh, he kind of put, put it on the back burner. But one thing is uh, to use notaries. Uh, and what you do is you have an app that uh, 
essentially is tied into the background check system. But in order to uh, preserve privacy and stuff, you, you'd you have to find a notary. And I mean, that would cost $10 or $15 or whatever. And the notary would check the IDs that you have for people. Uh, but there are a, lot, a hell of a lot more notaries out there than there are uh, FFLs. I mean, notaries check who you are for uh, buying the house. They can check who you are for buying the gun. So anyway, that was a neat idea that I thought uh, Trump had on that. Um, you know, thinking outside the box uh, for solving that problem. Um, uh, so again, a reasonable solution to the problem. Insanity. This elaborate ruse, this elaborate conspiracy to get you, ruin your reputation, so to speak, certainly to bring down your profile cost a hell of a lot of money. Not the only thing. I mean, take this claim. I mean, I guess I already talked about this claim of the 3044. You cannot find a media outlet that criticized them on that. Even though I went through at least the ones that talked to me, I I take it back. There is one that mentioned that I I had questions, but they didn't really go into it. Um, uh, You know, so they got this lie that there's 3,044 seniors uh, that die, uh, you know, uh, because of gun violence in the United States. And it's, you know, it's like one-sixth of that. Um, so, you know, who knows what to do with these guys. Man, what a scam. John Lott, thanks for coming on the Adult in the Room podcast. And I hope to talk to you in the future following up on this story, because this is nuts. I just don't understand what goes through people's minds when they try to do this. I mean, I, I have to confess, I was, I, uh, I was, I was worried about falling asleep. I mean, I got a little bit of sleep during the night, but um, I had to stop for a little bit. But it was still a lot of driving to do. You know, I'm not the type that wants to go out and uh, uh, litigate these things. But uh, you know, my, the only the thing that's holding me back is just the cost. I don't, I don't. I mean, I could mortgage my house more. Uh, but, uh, short of that, I'm not really sure where I'd get the money. So, you know, if your listeners or somebody else wants to help out on that, then we can talk about it. But it's just, uh, um, you know, cause it would involve also a lot of time, but you know, uh, my response in part was to write the piece in the wall street journal. So I hope I hit the right tone on that. The thing that's been interesting has been all the other gun control groups are just applauding. You know, uh, Shannon Watts at Moms Demand Action, the Bloomberg Group, and others have just been saying, you know, how brilliant and how much they admire them for coming up with this idea. So, look, (laughs) I, I can tell you this. I've given hundreds of talks at schools. I don't even know how many talks I've given at schools over the years. And, uh, um, you know, I, I kind of wonder, what am I supposed to do now? It's not just know that it's a real, you know, you check it out on the website or whatever. Uh, you know, it's, and I'm thinking through scenarios because it's not just, even if it's a real school, maybe it's a fake group that's at the school. So uh, what, what do you do to protect yourself against these things? You can't just Google them 
and look them up. Uh, mm -hmm. Apparently, they're willing to pay you know enough money to have a professional website that makes it look like something real that's going on. And if it's a let's say it's a real school, but a fake group that's at the school, what do you do then? How, how are you supposed to check it? They the gun control groups have come back and said, well, you know, Lot should have done a more thorough background check. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know what they want you to do on this type of thing, other than Google the school and look it up and see and read about it some. Um, am I supposed to call up the students and check to see whether they're really going to classes? I don't know what they want. Okay, so now let's listen to the commercial hit job done by a supposedly caring anti-gun group whose uh, fundraising apparently goes to doing hit jobs on their uh, uh, their opponents, right? Somebody in like John Lott who believes in Second Amendment rights, and they obviously don't believe in Second Amendment rights. So all this money being used to produce this commercial it is a, vid a visual commercial, but you'll get the idea. There is some sound, some audio, John's voice, the moving music, 3,044, the fake number of people supposedly killed by guns, seniors in high school, etc., etc. So let's listen. Dr. John Lott is an economist, educator, and scholar. He has authored several books, including More Guns, Less Crime, often referred to as the Bible of the National Rifle Association. It is my privilege to introduce to you Dr. John Lott. Congratulations. Uh, you all have made a new stage in life. You know, your school is named after uh, James Madison, and he proposed what became the Second Amendment to the Constitution, that there's an individual right to people to be able to keep guns for protection. Can you name me one place in the world, any place in the world, that's banned either all guns or all handguns and seen murder rates go down. I can't find a single place like that. 911, what is your emergency? <laughs> I was just working in the Department of Justice. Gun control advocates and Democrats will fight you tooth and nail. They want to go and say we've stopped three and a half million dangerous people. Okay, is anybody injured? I look at it as we've stopped three and a half million law-abiding citizens who wanted to get a gun. Are you in the school? Where are you in the school? We're on the first floor. They were shooting into my classroom. Anyway, congratulations on an amazing accomplishment. You know, I'm sure all of you will have a very bright future ahead. Thank you very much. Now, I think John Lott should sue the ad agency and the so-called anti-gun violence group for fraud, defamation, because they used his image to defame him. And I'm not an attorney. I just that's just what comes to me. And he should file a complaint with the FTC about the ad agency, the IRS about this so-called anti-gun group charity and any other agency that oversees this agency in this group. And also the charity watchdogs, such as Charity Navigator, should be apprised of this fraud, this group 
gave all this money to. It's lavish spending on commercials instead of what is it that they do? Do they help people or is it just a propaganda machine? He needs a lawyer. He should bring legal action if he can. Uh, He should do it. And why not? The left would do it. After years of fighting in trial court with the appeals court to the Oregon Supreme Court, it looks like the long saga for Mike Strickland is over for now. The answer to the question of whether the U.S. Supreme Court would grant cert and hear his case to make a stand for self-defense and get his rights back, stolen by the Antifa attackers, right now is no. In a corner of the Supreme Court at the United States website in April, there was a tiny notation that the nation's highest court would not grant cert and hear his case. The court, understandably, is flooded with pleas by Americans to hear their cases. Strickland's attorney, Robert Barnes, says it was a long shot to ask, but you have to fight on. And you have to do it all the way. Because if you show the justices enough of the same kind of cases, uh, such as the ones undermining self-defense, as this one does, it softens the ground for the next one. It's how the system works. Strickland can try again. It's not satisfying. It's anything but. And it's expensive. And it's not justice. Till next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple Podcast app every time you listen. And give me a great review. Plus, of course, subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs. And it makes us easier to find. Please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff. Yeah, we're still there. Using the names Victoria Taft or the Adult in the Room podcast on MeWe, Parlor, Minds, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to 1A Cast for imaging, editing, and production. The fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, mischief managed.